What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Apple's hitting the road. CNBC's auto reporter Phil LeBeau on Tim Cook's big bite into vehicles. This would be an Apple car. This would not be Apple software underneath a Kia model. This would be an Apple car. And antitrust back on the agenda. Senator Amy Klobuchar on her plans for big tech. I don't want to punish success. When we talk about structural remedies and breaking things up, those companies would then be unleashed to do even more. Those stories plus PayPal's big quarter and another business titan plans his departure, the CEO of Merck, retiring. Ken Frazier was such a leader in the industry, not just in pharma, but you know across the industry, and especially over the last year, as racial justice issues have been so important. It's Thursday, February 4th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box. This is CNBC, and I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Welcome to Squawk Box. Apple close to finalizing a deal with uh, Hyundai and Kia to manufacture an Apple-branded self-driving electric car. I want to get straight to the man who has the news uh, with exclusive details, Phil LeBeau. Phil, great reporting. Andrew, yes, it would be an understatement to say that this would be huge, not only for the auto industry, but also for Apple. When you look at what is possible here, the multiple sources who tell me that they are working towards a deal all make it clear that these are talks that have been going on for some time and that they are moving towards a deal. Now, whether or not it gets finalized, that remains to be seen. They're keying in on production at the Kia plant in West Point, Georgia. That's about 90 miles southwest of Atlanta. It would be an autonomous electric vehicle scheduled for release in 2024. But the people I talk with say, look, that could get pushed back to 2025. 2024, they're going to have to start uh, making steps fairly quickly if they're going to meet that timeline. And here's the most important part. It would have Apple hardware and software. In other words, this would be an Apple car. This would not be Apple software underneath a Kia model. This would be an Apple car. They're keenly focused on making sure that the uh, user experience, by the way, it fits in with the Apple ecosystem. That's a big part of this. The Kia Georgia plant, by the way, it does have capacity available, and there is the Kia skateboard. Hyundai Kia has an EV skateboard, but basically think about that as the platform underneath the vehicle. It can be adapted depending on what the top hat of the vehicle would be. That could be utilized uh, by Apple as they're working on this uh, Apple car. We reached out to Apple yesterday. It declined to comment on this report or the questions we had for them. We also reached out to Hyundai Kia. Hyundai Kia spokesperson declined to comment on the questions that we put to them regarding finalizing a deal with Apple. One other uh, stock that, or a couple others I want to focus on here. General Motors. Why take a look at General Motors? Well, clearly, if Apple does develop an Apple car and gets into this ecosystem with, let's say, uh, a vehicle that is for robo-taxis or for package delivery firms, eventually it would also be a vehicle that perhaps, or there may be vehicles that perhaps people would buy as part of 
their own personal, I'm buying a vehicle, I'm going to buy an Apple car. What are the implications for General Motors and all of the automakers? We talked with Mary Barr about three weeks ago when some of these first reports were first bubbling up, and we asked her this specific question. What does it mean if Apple gets into this game? Here's what she had to say. I'm probably not the right person to ask of what uh, Apple's plans are, but we consider them to be a formidable competitor. So that's why we're working with all the capability we have with our technology to go as fast as we can to, uh, to really satisfy and delight the customer in our vehicles and create that uh, relationship and uh, just an incredible uh, overall ownership experience. And guys, I, I, I'm sure there will be some questions during the analyst call for CEO Jim Farley about the landscape in terms of competition. Maybe not a specific question on Apple getting into uh, the auto business as an automaker, but clearly uh, this is a space that is developing quickly. And again, we have talked with multiple sources who say that Apple and Hyundai Kia, they are moving down the path towards finalizing a deal for production of an Apple car in Georgia. Guys, back to you. Well, Phil, I have so many questions for you, starting with this. And I, I, I first wanted to ask you this actually yesterday as I was watching you break the news on the air. So I'm glad uh, we get to do it right here, which is uh, you made a couple of references to the idea that at least initially this car would be used for last mile transport, that it may Correct. not be a consumer car, at least initially. What are you thinking about in, in that respect? And when you talk about it being an autonomous car, is that a fully autonomous car without a driver? Well, the idea is that it would not require a driver. Now, look, we're in this strange area here, Andrew, where fully autonomous vehicles, while that technology is being developed, we have not yet hit the point where, A, it's robust enough that you see it on, on a regular basis. Yeah, we see Waymo working in a geofenced area in the Phoenix area, and you've seen a number of companies. By the way, Apple is testing autonomous vehicle technology in California. There are a number of companies that are testing it there and in some other states. But if you're going to get it to the point where... Let's say you're at home, Andrew, and you say, I want a robo-taxi, and I want that Apple car service. Let's say Apple is operating that service, or some other firm is operating that service. We're a long ways from the point where you can call up that car, it picks you up, and it takes you somewhere, and there's no driver behind the wheel, at right. least on a nationwide basis. That is a regulatory hurdle that, and questions that are going to have to be figured out uh, in Washington. They're going to have to come to some agreement in terms of standards as well as what's the technology that's out there, what's the minimum safety requirements right. that are going to need to be met. But, but explain then the rationale for Apple to, to start as a robo-taxi service or a, uh, almost an enterprise Well, they want it to be a differentiator. A Andrew, they okay. want it to be a differentiator. Look, could Apple immediately go out buy a plant, start building an electric car right now? Absolutely. They've got the money. There's no shortage of plants. I mean, there's overcapacity in the auto industry around the world. So you want to do that. You can do that. What differentiates that car? Nothing. Nothing would differentiate that car. You make it autonomous and electric, now you've got the differentiating experience. And if you're Apple, and the people I've talked with who are familiar with Apple's plans, they've said it time and again, Apple wants this to have the true Apple experience for the consumer, but it's got to be differentiated. How do you make it differentiated? You make it autonomous and electric. That way you can say whether it is to a robo-taxi service or to a package delivery firm, you want to conquer that last mile. The most difficult part of the transportation puzzle that's trying to be solved, we can bring 
the answer to you with an Apple car. Hey, Phil, you talk about an Apple car, and I can't help but think about how many more semiconductor chips that car is going to require. Oh, and, yeah. and that gets me back to some news this week that we've seen a group of senators who went to the White House to ask the Biden administration to help them out in terms of yep. getting more of these semiconductor chips right now, which is the limiting factor. There are a lot of plants that have had to shut down production or slow production because right. they can't get enough of these chips, in part because of some of the, uh, <clears throat> the issues that the Trump administration did in terms of China and limiting the back and forth with the chips. What's the latest on that? Is there an update? Well, they, they, those senators would like, and by the way, the letter to the White House came from senators from auto production states. So we're talking about Ohio, Michigan, Michigan Wisconsin, Indiana, Tennessee, yeah. Indiana. Uh, what they would like is that the Trump, they would like the Trump administration, A, to, to put this on the, the front plate, if you're front boiler, in terms of, hey, we need to figure this out. And they would also like the Trump administration to consider uh, you or the Biden. I'm sorry, the Biden administration. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, old habits <laughs> change of uh, the Biden administration to consider the Defense Production Act, possibly in order to move uh, the chip makers to add production. I'm not sure that that's going to go far with the uh, Biden administration. And keep in mind, Becky, this is a worldwide problem. And why is it a worldwide problem? I know people want to focus to a certain extent on the trade relations between the Trump administration and China and the implications for the semiconductor uh, market. But keep in mind, when all of the automakers around the world basically shut down production back in the spring of last year, what happened? They, they turned to their supply chains and their semiconductor suppliers and they said, we're not going to need as many. We are drawing down production. We're just not going to need many. And if you remember at the time, Becky, a lot of automakers thought, well, look, we're dead in the water at least for six months. So we're just not going to need as many of everything, including semiconductors. Who did the semiconductors turn to? The consumer electronics firms. Why? Because there was a boom in people ordering laptops, consumer electronics, game stations, you name it. We're all staying home. We started ordering more of those. So the semiconductor companies around the world said, okay, here's somebody who wants our chips. We'll meet that supply there. So now that the auto sales have rebounded, the automakers have come back to the chip companies and said, we need more. And the chip companies have said, we've already allocated all of our production. So this is that four to six month gap that you're gonna see here between what is asked for and what can be supplied. Phil, I just want to go back to the, the questions we were talking about about this car for a second, because I, I will admit to being confused. Um, I've always thought of Apple as a consumer-oriented company. We talk Correct. about delighting the customer, uh, having yes. great systems and software that are just you know, beyond. That, that's what I think so, so much of the public is interested in, sure. in the relationship that Apple has always had. I don't personally care when I order food or order something off of Amazon or whatever it is, how it gets to me on the last mile. That last mile is going to get done by a delivery service. And um, I, to be honest with you, I don't think most consumers are very interested in the actual dynamics I, I would of that. understand what you're so saying. They're yeah. trying, so I don't I'm, look at this. So and, the idea yeah, that they're Andrew, going to sell let, these, let me, these let me fabulous be, cars let me be, to, to, sure, uh, let me be to, clear to here. delivery services doesn't make sense to me. Well, that, that's not the primary goal. So if I, if I left you with that impression that they are developing the Apple car so that the last mile equation can be solved and they can turn to Grubhub or whatever food delivery services and say, here you go, here's an Apple car, that's not the primary goal for, for Apple. The primary goal here is the consumer experience. And you're right. That's what Apple wants to do. They want to make this ubiquitous. 
so that if it's part of your world, it's the Apple ecosystem. And whether it is the Apple car, or you're at home and you're looking at your Mac computer, or your iPad, whatever it is, they want it to be one and the same and seamless throughout. So yes, the, the user experience. So if it's a robo-taxi, they want to make sure that you get the user experience of it. And then ultimately, if there is a consumer vehicle that you or I buy, and we say, I want to get an Apple car, that it is within that same Apple ecosystem. So I don't want to leave you with that impression that it, it, this is being developed strictly for package delivery firms. But the last mile, that is a huge part of what they want to figure out. You've got to figure that out if you want to be autonomous and electric. doesn't matter if you come up with autonomous. If you say to people, we're autonomous down the highway, that, that's, that's, that problem has been solved already, largely solved by automakers. It's the last right. mile into your right. driveway. Thank you, Phil. That, that's very detailed. And, and it's Hyundai. I mean, what if we were to tell someone who, who just can't get it? It, it, it? it rhymes with Sunday, right? Hyundai. Is, 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 is that good for you? Will that it's work hun for you? It's Hyundai. Hun Sunday, Hyundai, Sunday, Hyundai. Good. Excellent. Hyundai, and this is Hyundai Kia. All right. Excellent. I'm gonna, uh, that's what I'm going to remember as a meme. Is that a meme or that's a no, it's one of the other? PayPal. Look at what it's doing today. It's up 12. Let me just make sure. I, I mean, I've looked in a couple of places and it is there right now. It's, it's, it's what I thought. It's like a quarter uh, of a trillion dollars now. PayPal, P-Y-P-L, 200, no, almost 300, almost $300 billion on PayPal. Uh, the company added 16 million yeah, new accounts. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? I'll tell you what's amazing. Instead yeah. of messing around with no, games. No, I mean, PayPal is amazing. It is, PayPal but instead of amazing. messing around I, with GameStop and all these little tricks, and why didn't all these retail people just buy some PayPal a couple of years ago and just do it, yeah. buy a company yeah. that's actually growing and it's going to be a great company? Why, why play around? Uh, the company added 16 million new accounts in the fourth quarter, recorded a 39% jump in total payment volume. They're into crypto. They're into, this, they're into installments now. It's not even just payment anymore. You pay something and you might, yeah. it's, it's going to be like a, uh, you know, a loan that you pay in installments of, and, and it's going to transcend just payment. This is all new to me, Sork, and I know you've known all, you've known all this. But, you probably, you probably way, use I, Venmo, right? You got a Venmo thing? I, you ven you got my Venmo. Kids. I've got Venmo, too. I see Venmo all over the place my on my credit PayPal card. I got my PayPal account. I used to use my husband's account all the time, and he got so sick of me using it and running up bills on it, I finally just caved and got my own account so I don't have to run anything by him anymore. I'm and one of the is, 16 million new accounts they added. This is our buddy Schulman, too, the guy, like the casual dude in the, in the jean jacket, right? Yeah. That, that comes on with Davos yeah. all the time. This is him. $300 billion. It's awesome. Anyway, it is. And uh, the, then the, the estimate of new accounts, heck, I might even get one, uh, new accounts, Supposed to be 35 sure. million. It's going to be like 50 million or something. 2020 was the strongest year, yeah. uh, which is not a surprise in PayPal's history. It just keeps getting better and better. 115% rise uh, in the stock last year. What, and what? Tell me about the crypto element. You can use Bitcoin on PayPal. Is that how? But it's not totally I, I adopted. Don't you're, you're going, I, mean, I don't know I if you can yet, but you're, you're going to be able to. But what 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 they're doing with the payment is. They immediately translate it into dollars. So just just so everybody's clear, it's yeah. it, you could use supposedly you would be able to use cycle. Bitcoin to pay for something, but the merchant it would get turned into dollars for them. Okay. 
Well, that's all right, because you want to know what you have. You could either have, you know, X, 3X, 1X, uh, you know, you don't, so that might be a good idea. Uh, anyway, but it, to goes do that. To the, it goes to the issue of whether Bitcoin's a real currency. Right. Or will, or it, maybe not now, but it will be someday. Anyway, when you put PayPal mm. in the headlines instead of, I mean, eBay, I don't know, PayPal, I mean, that is just amazing. Just a choice. It is up 10 percent, too. But, yeah, PayPal's, uh, PayPal's pretty billion. amazing with what they've done. And when you talk to Dan about the number of times people are trying to hack into their system, like every second, it's kind of amazing. The stuff they know how to do in terms of protecting that company, too. Um, yeah, always an interesting guy to talk to. Maybe get him on soon. Next on Squawk Pod, Senator Amy Klobuchar introducing sweeping antitrust reform, and it takes aim at the big tech giants. I don't think it's good for startups. I don't think it's good for competition if you have big companies with 90% market share over search engines in the case of Google that can control the gateways to things. And later, Merck's CEO Ken Frazier is retiring, but the high-profile pharma exec will still be a leader. CNBC's Meg Terrell. He once told me, he reads the obituary section of the New York Times every morning. So I asked him, not to sound morbid, but what would he want his obituary to say? And he said he hoped it would say he was devoted to social justice. Squawk Pod is back after this. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod. Lawmakers in Washington may still be ironing out the kinks in their plan for more stimulus checks. But don't worry, there's another juicy battle brewing, antitrust. And former presidential candidate Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota is leading the charge. She is now the head of the Senate Judiciary Antitrust Panel, which is pretty lucky for her. Klobuchar has been a vocal critic of big tech's power for years. And today, she's introducing a bill to beef up regulators' antitrust muscle. Specifically, she's pitching an end to mergers that pose an appreciable risk to competition. As it stands currently, the law bars mergers that have proven a demonstrable reduction to competition, which, as we've seen, is pretty tough to do. Her bill also suggests stricter enforcement and civil fines for violators. Also, this is the subject of the senator's new book out in April, Antitrust, Taking on Monopoly Power from the Gilded Age to the Digital Age. Here's Andrew. Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us, Senator. Um, Thank you. Before we get directly into some of the antitrust issues that I know you're dealing with, I, I want to ask you actually about a market power tech question. Um, and it's something that we've seen being played out even over the last week, because part of the power or market power issue is a bit of a freedom of speech issue and a bit of what these platforms can do. And I'm curious what your reaction is, Elon Musk tweeting and, and pushing uh, Dogecoin this morning. We've seen this GameStop episode uh, over, over the past week and if not longer. What do you think the responsibility, if there is any, that the platforms themselves should have when it comes to pushing stocks? You know, I think this is just one more example of this enormous 
power that these platforms have. And um, I'm glad Secretary Yellen has called a foreign investigation to look at this manipulation. You want to have small investors, you want to have people participating, uh, but you don't want to have deliberate manipulation. And that's always a thin line. So I'm glad that this is being looked into because you don't want regular people hurt uh, by this kind of behavior. Overall, with tech, I think we know for a long time they've pushed against any kind of rules of the road saying, hey, trust us. Um, and that just hasn't worked for people. It sure hasn't worked for people that have had their private information spit out all over the place. It hasn't worked for people who are victims of misinformation. Um, and so that's why, in addition to antitrust, uh, we have to get some rules of the road for privacy in place. And we've got to make sure that the economy uh, is fair for people. And I look at this right. from a business perspective, which is a lot of your show. Um, I don't think it's good for startups. I don't think it's good for competition. If you have big companies with 90% market share over search engines in the case of Google that can control the gateways to things. And so that's why uh, my bill and the work that we're doing and the House has done a lot on this too, House of Representatives, is aimed at actually getting to what I consider a conservative principle, capitalism. Um, this idea of competition in the marketplace. Uh, Adam Smith himself warned about the overgrown army of monopolies and that we always had to have a check and balance. And we are rusty right. and we haven't kept up with the marketplace. Senator, do you tie the issue of antitrust, though, with the idea of uh, misinformation and potentially even manipulation? Because you're right, misinformation, which we've seen in the context of the election, manipulation, you know, in very many ways can be you know, looked into in the same regard as this GameStop and the election in certain ways uh, could be put into the same category. Right. So the, the approaches may be different because misinformation uh, could involve rules and transparency policies and algorithms and those kinds of things. So in that way, uh, it's a different set of of rules that you'd put in place. And competition rules wouldn't just apply to tech, right? You've got you know, only two really online travel agencies right now are online travel companies that are controlling all those brand names. Um, you could go down the row with uh, the consolidation we've seen in industry. But I think one thing they have in common, though, is that when you squelch competitors, and we have the Zuckerberg email as Exhibit A when he talked about purchasing nascent competitors. They're not big now, but boy, they're going to affect us later. Uh, you squelch the all the bells and whistles and the innovations that could come up from new companies, the WhatsApp, Instagram purchases. They no longer are off on their own trying to compete with Facebook. Facebook now owns them. Senator, is the answer to break these companies up, is the answer to prevent them, the biggest companies, from buying smaller companies? How do you, how okay. do, what, what do you think the ultimate resolution of this should be? Uh, it's the law. The first answer is you've got to have the resources for the agencies. You can't take on trillion-dollar companies with Band-Aids and duct tape. Um, look back at AT&T breakup, which, by the way, AT&T's own chairman once said it was good for them. It made them a better competitor. Uh, you've got the whole cell phone industry spawned because of that. I was a lawyer for MCI at the time. I know exactly what happened. Consumer rates go down. These agencies don't have those resources, right. and we need to make sure that happens. Grassley and I have a bill. Senator Grassley and I have a bill to do that. Senator, what do you make of the idea, actually, that maybe there's more innovation than we think? And the reason I, I even suggest that is, you know, TikTok was something that if I said that phrase to you two years ago, you would have looked at your watch. Um, if I had said Clubhouse to you, 
which is an emerging social platform. Even three months ago, uh, you would have talked about an actual clubhouse, meaning there are people doing relatively innovative things and actually gaining market share in some regard. Uh, there are. And this is one of the most exciting things about America's economy. But my, let me be clear. I don't want to punish success. When we talk about structural remedies and breaking things up, um, those companies would then be unleashed to do even more. Um, and my concern is that while we're seeing really good things happening, we also know there's really bad things happening. And part of that is that we don't have the remedies in place. We don't have the resources I mentioned for the agencies. And some of the legal standards just don't fit the sophisticated marketplace we see today. And you have court rulings where the courts have gotten more and more restrictive about antitrust cases. And this isn't just consumers coming to me. There's a bunch of businesses, big and small, that know this is unfair for them if they can't get their product advertised the way that they would or uh, they're unable to compete in a marketplace. And so uh, all this is is balancing things out again. Senator Klobuchar, can I just ask you about something that uh, I heard earlier this week on this network? Senator Warren was on, and she was talking about what's been happening with retail investors and with Robinhood and was saying that she wants to make sure that they're going to stop market manipulation, including things like companies buying back shares. The bigger issue for me is the SEC's inability and unwillingness to deal with market manipulation. It's not just what's happened in the last couple of weeks. Let me take an example. The example around stock buybacks. We all understood what stock buybacks are about. They're about companies buying back their own stock so they can inflate their the price of that stock. That's just the economics of what happens. And it was market manipulation up through the 1980s. That kind of shocked me because companies buying back shares does not qualify as market manipulation in my book. Does it qualify in yours? Um, I did not uh, hear Elizabeth's interview, so I want to look at exactly what she said in that context. And I think what uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen has called for is simply a review of manipulation. And I'm not sure she detailed that that was what she was considering. I think what we're trying to do here is everyone knows we've got a new economy. And yet for four years, honestly, sure. we've just but kind of are, been... Are stock buybacks bad? Hmm? I, that, that's my question. Do you think stock think buybacks it, are bad? I, I think there have been instances where they have been bad, but not all the time, no. Senator, thank you for joining us today. We thank really you. appreciate it. We hope we get a chance to have you back more for a more in-depth conversation. Canva presents Unexplained Appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. Breaking news uh, this morning on Merck. Ken Fraser is retiring as CEO effective June 30th. 
Uh, Meg Terrell joins us with more. Hi, Meg. Hi, Joe. This is a big move. You know, Ken Frazier has been CEO of Merck since January 2011. Uh, it's been quite a transition for the company in that period of time, really seeing the boom of Keytruda and the birth of immunotherapy as a major way of treating cancer. Ken Frazier, of course, also, you know, really known, of course, for standing up uh, to President Trump after the Charlottesville events uh, a couple years ago and being the first CEO to step down from that manufacturing council. Um, you know, he came to Merck back in 1992, and he really worked his way up through the ranks. He worked with the legendary uh, CEO, um, Roy Vangelos, um, who you know, really is still considered among the, the legends of pharma CEOs um, and really was somebody who worked closely with him and then was general counsel and, and moved up to be CEO then in January 2011. In that time, you know, we've seen Merck's stock double um, and you know, such a focus really on, on cancer drugs, Keytruda, but also on antibiotics. They made a big acquisition of uh, a big uh, antibiotics company, Cubist, at a time when a lot of people were getting out of that space. You also saw Merck and Ken Frazier in particular really say we are not into big mergers. That was something that he really focused on as a strategy, um, not going that route. When we saw so many companies looking at inversions and things like that, um, Merck really focusing on uh, building, you know, research. Um, interestingly, they also just announced that Roger Perlmutter um, has stepped down as head of research as of January of this year. So this is a big change at the top of Merck. We're going to see an entirely new leadership team uh, running the CEO at the running the company at the CEO level and at the head of research level. So a new Merck going forward, um, but a longer tenure than we see for a lot of CEOs. Um, you know, he was there since 2011 as. CEO. He's still going to be executive chairman for some period of time, uh, so we'll figure out, you know, going forward how long he'll be in that role. But um, this will be a big change for Merck, guys. It was uh, it was interesting, Megan. You you alluded to it. He is general counsel, and that's not necessarily the guy that you think would be uh, the one to lead a a pharmaceutical company. But he the job he did. Uh, with Vioxx a, a, when it happened, and it was it was a very tenuous time for Merck. If you remember, they were, you know, there's there's more than a few of those uh, those painkillers that uh, had some real adverse events and side effects, and they were getting assaulted. You know what happens when the bar goes after a pharmaceutical company, and there was a lot of pressure for Merck to settle, and it would have been a really large settlement. Would have been as we, we were talking about earlier, 50 billion or so. And we used to have Ken Frazier on when he was general counsel on Squawk West. And he fought every case individually. And as you know, uh, it ended up kind of being handled by Merck in, the, in, the, in a fashion where all parties were satisfied and it cost him only about $5 billion. And then he was elevated to CEO as general counsel. But as you said, you just mentioned Roger Perlmutter brought him in from Amgen, who was a great scientist and an R&D guy. So that those two together pretty formidable um, combination for Merck. And this is, you know, this is, I, I don't know if I call it a loss, they'll still be there, but it was a pretty good, uh, pretty good tenure, as you say. It, he was the last executive hired by Vangelos, last uh, senior executive, I think, who is legendary in the, in the halls uh, of Merck, as you mentioned. 
Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right, Joe. I mean, whenever we'd interview Ken Frazier, uh, I would talk to him beforehand. He, he always showed up early, <laughs> which was, you know, which was great because you get to talk to him. But then it, it was also really intimidating because you're trying to prepare for the interview with Ken Frazier and he was sitting there looking over your shoulder. But, uh, you know, I would always say, oh, I'd love to talk with you about your Alzheimer's efforts. I'd love to talk with you about whatever it was in our pipeline. And he would say, oh, you should really ask Roger about that. And so he really saw, you know, Roger Perlmutter as overseeing research even though when you did ask him about it, of course he knew every single detail and right. could tell you all about the program. Um, but that was a partnership where he was sort of the, the CEO and then he had the leader of the research uh, part. And so we'll see what partnership evolves under Rob Davis and Dean Lee, who's now heading research at Merck. It will be a different kind of partnership. But you know, Ken Frazier was such a leader in the industry as well, not just in pharma, but you know, across the industry and especially over the last year as racial justice issues have been so important important as they have been for so long, but they've come to the fore in 2020. Ken Frazier has been such an important voice on this. You know, he once told me uh, before an interview at J.P. Morgan, um, he, he reads the obituary section of the New York Times every morning before anything else. And so I asked him at a conference uh, last year when we could still meet in person, I guess that was 2019, when <laughs> we could still meet in person, you know, not to sound morbid, but what would he want his obituary to say? And he said he hoped it would say he was devoted to social justice. Um, and that's something that he's really focused on, in addition to running this giant <laughs> legendary pharmaceutical company, uh, to focusing on that. So I, I would expect we would still see a lot of leadership from Ken Frazier in that area. Uh Meg, on one of our, our shows during those events of, of last year, Ken, Ken was on, and uh, he spoke for about 10 minutes, and it, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. This African-American man, who could be me or any other African-American man, is being treated as less than human. It was significant and solemn, and uh, he talked about his upbringing, and he got a step up, uh, and he said, if I hadn't gotten a step up, back then or a hand up that he could have ended up, you know, who knows where he would have been and, and very eloquently uh, spoke to us that day. I'll, I'll never forget. I know you guys remember too. Do you remember Becky and, and Andrew? It was an amazing conversation. I remember because he stopped me in the middle of the interview. I'm going to step across here and make one point here. Please. You know, I get to sit on CNBC and have this conversation with you because of one fundamental reason, and that was when I was growing up in the inner city of Philadelphia, the social engineers in Philadelphia at the time when Dr. King was leading the protest in the 1960s, for reasons I don't yet understand, decided to take a few inner city black kids, put them on a bus, make them ride 90 minutes to different schools to get a rigorous education. My class had 1,400 kids in it. There were nine African-American kids. I know for sure that what put my life on a different trajectory was that someone intervened to give me an opportunity to close that opportunity gap. And clearly he's trying to afford those opportunities to so many others. It's worth pointing out, by the way, that just in the past two months, uh, he started a program called 110, uh, which is an effort to um, uh, employ a, a million uh, a million black people and to create, to create opportunities for them. Um, it's also interesting to note that and we've talked about this forever. Um, there were, well, well I, was, I was trying to do the math, only four black CEOs in the Fortune 500. And when you take him out, um, Roz, who just joined Walgreens, m might effectively replace that. But I was looking, Roger Ferguson is retiring as well. So, you know, when you, when you talk about progress, uh, it is, um, 
it is in certain cases one step forward, one, uh, two steps back, one step forward in terms of just even, even numbers. And, um, but I know it's something that's dear to him and something that I know he's working to improve. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. On our rundown tomorrow, 23andMe, the consumer DNA testing company going public via a special purchase acquisition company with the Virgin Group, 23andMe CEO Ann Rajisky. Now we're really at a point in time where I'm ready to, you know, explode. There's huge opportunities on therapeutics and huge opportunities for our consumer business. And Virgin Group founder Sir Richard Branson on the podcast tomorrow. In my opinion, there's really no better way to invest your money than healthcare. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.